Now, my next guest at 29 years old was 23 stone in weight and he believed he was destined to a life of unhappiness. But back in 2011, he took part in a show called The Biggest Loser UK. He lost an incredible six stone and eight pounds in just 21 weeks and he won the runner-up slot in the show's finale. Let's have a listen to him. In school, people used to call me Fatrick. It used to really hurt me. I don't think I've ever looked in the mirror and been completely happy with myself. I feel inferior to guys because of how I look. Feeling sorry for yourself is why you're here. You're going to have to get tougher. I was lacking confidence, but now I'm almost fearless. That was Paddy Cunningham talking about his inspirational story and how it transformed his life. But he's here with us in the Mindfeed chair this week. Good morning, Paddy. Paddy, if you, if you don't mind, take us back a little bit before The Biggest Loser. What was it like growing up? Yeah, so I guess um, like I had a, a pretty, I guess, normal childhood in uh, Sligo, where I'm from, and um, I went to you know mixed boys girls school. Um, and I guess one of the things maybe that maybe set me aside even at that very young age, nor would have been the fact that um, like even in primary school I had no interest in sports at all. So like even though in PE we were off doing the hurling or the Gaelic or that, it just didn't make sense to me. I just had no interest in it whatsoever. And then when I moved into secondary school, that kind of very much came with me and I think even you know when you progress into secondary school there's almost more emphasis put on sports and the the competition element of it and you know Mm -hmm. trying to win this cup or that cup and again I had no interest in it at all so I guess in secondary school it it really kind of reinforced that idea that when the other people were away on their lunch break playing soccer or Gaelic or even golf or swimming whatever the case might be that I kind of found myself and, and as a very small group of friends then that would kind of be in the canteen and that's maybe where my relationship, I guess, with food started to develop. And my love for food started to develop even more and more. And when did your weight sort of, when did you become concerned yourself when you looked in the mirror? Well, I think I'd always been overweight, always. Even like as a child growing up, I was always um, a chubby kid. And then through secondary school, I always would have been one of the bigger lads in my class. When I went to college in particular, I think when I moved from Sligo up to Dublin and um, when I started going out, that was really when I started to, I guess, become more self-conscious of myself. And, um, and what weight were you then? Oh, crikey. Um, I, I mean, like the way that I used to describe it was that I nearly had a stone for every year that it was. So I guess when I went to college, I would have been about nineteen twenty, and probably the same in stones. Right. Um, and then I remember, like, I used to start going out to the George on a Sunday night and, you know, all the hullabaloo and it was fantastic. But, you know, you'd be enjoying your night out. But then equally, I'd be kind of looking around me thinking, God, those people are wearing nicer clothes. Like, and then when you start to go and look for the nicer clothes, you think, God, I don't fit into any of these. And given that you were, I suppose, maybe in denial a little bit about it being um, an issue that you had to deal with. Were there low points? I mean, were there moments when you sort of, you know, really felt, gosh, I have to change myself? Yeah, I remember... There's, I think there's three points, I guess, over from, from my late teens into my 20s that I can definitely remember. One was when I was in college in Dublin. I remember it was my birthday and I was out one night. And the simple thing of, do you know what? Wouldn't it be lovely if I pulled tonight and snog someone? Little things like that. And I remember being out for the whole night and at the end of the night and thinking, it didn't. God, I didn't, I didn't get to kiss anyone tonight. And I remember for me, that was because, sure, well, why would they with the size of me? Like? Mm-hmm. So that was one thing definitely when I was in college. And then when I was living in England as well, there was one point where I was at um, one of the theme parks over there and we went to go on one of the roller coasters and I got, got into the roller coaster and um, we're sitting there and the safety bar came down and then the most embarrassing thing at the time, thankfully I can kind of have a bit of a laugh about it now, but the, the safety bar just wouldn't close. 
So there I was in front of a roller coaster full of people and the safety bar, the, the guy was there physically trying to push it down to close it. And I was thinking, even if this does close now, it's going to crush my ribs or something. So I had to get off. And that was so embarrassing again, like in front of, you know, the people that I was with and just even the strangers. It was just mortifying. So all I wanted to do was, you know, get away. I think one of the final things then that I remember was getting ready for one of my best friend's um, birthday parties in London. And I had gone out that day and spent a fortune on clothes. I found a shop that did sell bigger clothes and, you know, bought what I deemed as nice clothes and got ready. And um, as it's going out, as I'm sure you know, a lot of women probably do, and men more so now, that kind of final glance in the mirror of, okay, how's the hair? How do I look? Is everything okay? And that final glance ruined everything. I remember looking and thinking, there is no way I can go out looking like this. None. Oh, Paddy, that's heartbreaking. Like when you're talking about it. In yeah, but, but, but like it was the truth. And it, it's kind of, I think, you know, those are the feelings that people don't talk about, though, when they are overweight. They, they're the kind of things that, like, that night I didn't go out. I walked up to the bus stop, I was sitting at the bus stop, and I kept thinking about the fact of how I looked. And I texted my friend and said, Oh, I'm really sorry, I've lost my bank card, I can't afford to come out. Oh. Because I don't have my bank card. But the real reason was, no, no, that, that wasn't it at all. Like, so I just went back home again. And I think after that, I started thinking more of it. Do you know what? It, something has to change now. Something know, has Paddy, I was going to ask you about that. Given that, you know, my heart is breaking for you because I can hear the younger self in you talking about yeah. it and it's obviously still painful. But, you know, given you were internalising it all, and you're right, lots of people who have weight issues don't talk about it. They don't feel it's acceptable to sort of explain the psychological impact it has. How did you get to the point? I mean, did you have somebody that was supporting you in your life? Um... I mean, up to the point of The Biggest Loser, I guess, I I never really would have spoken about it, you know, and I think my family, you know, loved them to bits, but equally I think they never would have said, you need to lose weight. And I think that's something we're very poor at still because you're almost afraid of insulting someone. And it's this idea, I think, particularly with younger kids, and, I, you know, this is something that I think, you know, talking about childhood obesity and that, something that we do need to become more comfortable with is it's not puppy fat. It's not going to drop off one day. It is fat. You need to change something either yourself or with your child or, you know, you need to change something. If you're looking at your, your child now, you know, or, or your brother or your sister and you're thinking, yeah, actually, do you know what? I think I need to talk to them. Do uh, it. And I guess, Patty, if you don't, you're kind of sentencing them to a pretty miserable future. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, that, that slightly more difficult conversation is better than them going the next 10 years and putting their health at risk. Exactly. You know, you know, for most people, they'd go on a diet and they'd quietly lose weight. But you took yeah. this decision to go on national television and do it. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between like insanity and <laughs> desire to want to do something um, to fix things. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of whole episode with the, with the Biggest Loser then, I think... <clears throat> At the time, I was, what, 28, 29 or thereabouts. Um, and it was a show that, you know, I used to watch the whole time. I, was, I loved it. You know, it kind of was the one of the only reality shows that I watched. And I think part of the reason I watched it was, you know, at that stage, it was more so the American one that I used to watch. And I was thinking, well, do you know what? I'm big, but at least I'm not that big. So <laughs> there was that kind of element of, ah, sure, I'm not that bad yet. Um, <clears throat> but I'd sit there with the pizza or the ice cream or whatever and just eat it. Um, but myself and my friend, Will, he was my housemate over in England and... Um, We've seen the UK version. We're looking for people and we applied, not thinking anything more off it. I think the year we applied, there was something like 1,200 applicants. So we kind of thought, ah, sure, look, nothing will come from that now. And um, lo and behold, anyway, we got the call to do a telephone interview and then a casting call to go in and, and, you know, with the cameras and that. And then the the final bit, which was uh, medical, 
and a psychological evaluation to see how would you cope with the, the, the kind of the pressure of it and the intensity of it. And we got through it. But, the, I mean, the mad thing, even through all that, I hadn't told my parents or family that I had applied for it. It was only when I got accepted two weeks before we were to go away to do all the filming off it that I actually told people. Um, were they supportive? Of course they were. They were, 100%, yeah. absolutely. I mean, mum and my sister used to watch the show. Dad didn't really know what it was about. Um, but they were, absolutely. Were you um, worried you might fail? I think... Um, I mean, a lot of people go in, you know, I think they do those kind of things, go in for the competition element, but that didn't appeal to me at all. I think a little bit maybe the frustration of the producers, you know, I, I'm i not competitive so much with other people, but myself, yeah, you know. Um, and I think I was afraid of, don't know, not knowing what it was, like obviously watched it on the telly, and even when you go in there, you know, it's tough, but the thing that I learned very, very quick was, you know, no matter how tough things are physically, by God, they're a hundred times more difficult mentally. And, you know, trying to get your your mind into the game of what you're trying to do. And in week three of it, this was something that actually never made it to, t- to television because I purposely made it happen away from cameras, was week three, I decided that I can't do this. I can't go this long without speaking to my family. What, nothing to do with the exercise or the food or anything. Purely that connection with... Like, I'm used to talking to my mum or my dad, like, you know, a couple of times a week. And to go from that to having zero contact with them whatsoever, I found that too tough. And I said to the producers, look, at, um, I can't do this. You know, thanks very much for the opportunity, but I have to go home. I have to. And it was Angie Dowds then, who was one of the trainers on the show, Lord Rester, she's, she's passed since, but um, it was her that kind of took me away and she said, no, this isn't for cameras, and spoke to me and kind of made me realise that, you know what, actually, I do need to prioritise myself. I do need to do this. I, you know, it's only for up to seven weeks or whatever amount of time, and I have to make time for me. And Paddy, were there, like I watched the the programme and there were moments when I felt they were brutally hard on you. You know, with hindsight, yeah. do you think, it, was it too hard or was it exactly what you needed? Do you know what? People, I put it this way, if I do it again in the morning all over again, I would, without even thinking. Okay. Absolutely. And I think it's a very controversial show. Absolutely. And I think where I am now, qualified in the fitness industry myself, um, I can see absolutely why it's controversial. And in an ideal world, I probably wouldn't do things 100% the way that they do it. However, you know, the success rate of it, which is quite interesting as well now, is actually very similar to other diets, whereby 95% of people regain more than the weight that they have um, originally had. uh, Sorry, go back on that again. So after they go through the biggest loser, they put it back on again? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think the reason is that, you know, the good part of the show is that, you know, you're, it, it's kind of like a major kick in the backside to go and, you know, get fit and to get healthy and a start. But equally, I mean, it's, it's the whole process from start to finish from, I guess, the first bit of exercise you do in the house until the final weigh in at the, the final night of the recording is 21 weeks. And, like, if you look at, like, so someone like myself, that for nearly 30 years of your life, 20 weeks isn't necessarily going to be enough. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But tell me about the moment when uh, you managed to fit in those skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, EJ's got a visit, so they did that week. <laughs> a lovely man in EJ's, giving a shout yeah, out. They're great chaps, but um, oh, it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And I mean, I think, you know, what I've kind of learned since is, you know, being able to fit in clothes, those are the things that are important, not the figure on the scales. Being able to walk up a set of stairs and not being out of breath or, you know, being able to 
go into a shop and not have to worry if they have your size. Those are the things that became important. I mean, I was lucky that I didn't have any health issues developed. And Paddy, stop there just for a second because, you know, I just want the listeners to catch up. It was life transforming for you in all sorts of ways. But one of them was you went on to be a personal trainer. And actually, in your blog, you talk about food addiction. It's something yes. that you're very passionate about. These diets, like I mean, I know there's lots of people listening who will have tried these diets, soups and yes. shakes and quick fixes. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's something that from a, a medical profession and indeed a fitness profession as well that I do harp on about the whole time because that is, I feel, as a nation where we're talking about obesity and wanting to fix it, you know, with, with children and older adults as well, is that we have to start seeing that obesity isn't simply because people like food. It is an addiction. 100% is an addiction. Now, there might be a small percentage of people absolutely just like their food, and that's grand, no problem, let them enjoy it. But for the people that are constantly trying the diet and wrecking their minds, not being able to figure out why they can't get out of this vicious cycle, we have to start supporting that from a mental approach, first of all. You know, looking at the, the, the counselling, the true counselling stage of, you know, trying to help um, that person get through whatever difficulties it is, like, you know, why is their relationship with food the way it is? And simply telling somebody, eat a bit less, move a bit more, that's not going to fix that. For people who are listening, what are the triggers for food addiction? You know, what kind of things do people talk about? <clears throat> I think for myself, something that, you know, I very much previously could have um, identified with. And if I'm really honest, I'd say even still there's points like this year, there was one big awakening for me in relation to a trigger that I had never identified with myself before. And that was stress from work. I and like mm-hmm. uh, going back to that point that anyone that knows me would say Paddy is the most stress-free person you will meet. But there was a very clear instance that happened earlier in the year with work that then I could pinpoint threw me off my eating plan completely, mm-hmm. and I'd never had that realization before. So I think in terms of realization, it can be things like if you find that you know you, you make your cup of tea and before you even know it, the full pack of biscuits is gone and you've no idea why. You're like, oh Jesus, I didn't think I ate that much. Sometimes, Paddy, it's a bit of a cycle. People feel down about their weight and yet they use the food to give them comfort and then they feel even more down about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Because your body will get that kind of rush of endorphins that, you know, when you have particularly sweet food, you know, is one of the key things because you will literally get the sugar high from it. You know, your insulin levels will spike and you will actually get that buzz um, from it as well. So you do feel different. You do feel that bit better. And then, you know, once you, literally they come down off that, and that's why you're related so much to drugs, is that the cycle is very, very similar in terms of the addiction, in terms of you get your fix, and then you have your come down, and the only way that you can see yourself, you know, getting out of that come down, because as you say, you will feel bad about the fact what you've just done, is you're going to do it again, because, you know, you're going to feel better again. Yeah. And what's, so, I suppose, what's the solution? What's the secret? Like, I read an interesting article last week that said calorie counting was a complete waste of time, and but our focus in other areas, all these diets that people come out with, protein diets, low carb. Yeah, yeah. So, what is the answer? I would say if you're somebody and you think, you know what, yes, I do have a problem with food and I do need to get help with that, there are some, you know, fantastic organisations that can help you through that as well, like BodyWise in Dublin is one that do amazing work. Um, so there, there are professional organisations that can help you and I'd say people need to become more comfortable with that. If you had an addiction to alcohol or to drugs, you know, you would seek out the, the, the correct support. If it's a case that you're thinking, do you know what, I think I want to try it myself first. Well, I want to see if I can get it under wraps. I need help with my approach for food and my approach in exercise. I'd say don't go wasting loads of money. Don't. Don't go throwing, you know, 100 quid a week at a personal trainer if you don't need to. Start out by simply doing a bit of walking. You know, one of the most successful people that I worked with, for the first two or three weeks, all I got him to do was look at, go out walking. Just do a little bit of moving. It's, it's headspace 
for you as well to get out and think about things. So go out and do a bit of walking. And then from the food side of things, again, you don't need magic pills or potions. They will not work. And, you know, I'll say that to the day I die, is that pills and potions in any form won't work. So tell us, how has the social life improved now compared to where you were before? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot better. I mean, like I'm going out with um, my partner Peter now as well for like, God, I met him actually only a month after I moved home from England, which was quite quick. My intention wasn't that at all. My intention was to, okay, let's play the piece a bit <laughs> and see how it goes. But uh, yeah, I met a Wicklow man that kind of changed all that. So I mean, that aspect is fantastic. And even like from, you know, going out and about in Dublin or with my friends or whatever, it's it's fantastic. Just feeling, you know, a lot more confident and um, being able to genuinely enjoy myself, which is brilliant. Have a great uh, Sunday in sunny Sligo. Thanks a million for joining us on the show. Thank you very much, Nora. Take care now. That was Paddy Cunningham, an inspirational man, massive empathy with any of you out there that are trying to lose weight and he's a rock of sense. You know, follow him on Twitter at Paddy Cunningham or maybe go on to his Facebook. His blog is brilliant, facebook.com slash PT Paddy.